When trying to reason with faithful believers, especially religious extremists like creationists, we keep hearing the same old arguments over and over and over again, even though we know they've already been shown to be false, fraudulent, and or fallacious probably by everyone who's ever seen them. If you keep it up, you'll suspect that those who keep repeating these must surely know by now that all of these points have already been refuted a thousand times. I'm R.N. Ra, and this is The Pratt List. February 12, 2009 was Charles Darwin's 200th birthday. Since then, a growing number of individual groups have held annual celebrations of science on Darwin Day. These typically feature animal shows, children's activities, and speakers promoting intellectual bravery and honest curiosity, as well as scientific skepticism and secularism, especially in areas where religious extremism threatens education. Creationists have told a lot of lies about our man Chucky e. D. They said that he didn't believe his own theory, that he thought that the evolution of the eye was supposed to be absurd in the highest degree. It didn't matter what he said immediately after that about what reason tells him. They said he recanted his belief on his deathbed, another lie flatly denied by his family who were at his bedside. Creationists often comment that Darwinism begat racism and that Christians accept that every human is one of God's children. They say that as if those who accept evolution cannot also believe in God. They don't know their own history either. Before Darwin ever published his theory, and for millennia before he was even born, many Christians commonly believed that different races were not even related. Before Darwin suggested common ancestry, both religious and non-religious people thought that the various races of men had no common ancestors at all. Some believed that the different races they perceived were convergently derived from different species or that they spontaneously generated from different sources. Those who believed in God proposed other options. Mormons, for example, believed that black skin was the mark of the devil. Others believed that the Genesis character Cain got his mystery bride from among the apes. Still others believed that God created other kinds of people from other atoms that weren't mentioned in the Bible and who predate anyone the Bible mentions by name. In another creation myth, the titan Prometheus created both people and animals all out of clay, just like the Semitic gods did in Enuma Elish and Genesis, among other fables. Then each of these clay figurines had life literally breathed into it. The father god Zeus said that Prometheus made too many animals and forced him to turn some of them into men, albeit with bestial souls. This is the first reference to creationists believing that some people were fully human and that some were essentially soulless animals, but that's just the beginning. This theme was repeated again and again down through history. How could Darwin have instilled such racism into people that lived before him? It was not Darwin, but the authors of antiquity who numbered the races and called them inferior. Darwin proposed a tree of life where different lineages could be equally evolved. But Aristotle proposed a ladder of life where you have higher and lower life forms, where one race is superior to all others, not just in specific ways, but in general. And it was often the case that one group would refer to another as subhuman. It was so bad that in the 16th century, Catholic missionaries to the New World held a debate where one man argued that Native Americans were fully human. His four opponents, also in the Catholic clergy, argued that these tribes were soulless, thoughtless, talking animals in human guise. To be fair, it wasn't just the devoutly religious. In the 18th century, this problem was rampant among scientists and secularists too, including David Hume, 
Voltaire, and the naturalist George Buffon, who said that when white people moved to the tropics, they would degenerate into dark-skinned people. Buffon also said that there were six different species of human alive in his time. It was in this century, a hundred years before Darwin, that the famous scientist Carolus Linnaeus classified humans into six different species. European white people, American red people, Asian yellow people, and African black people, in addition to chimpanzees and orangutans. Linnaeus was a Christian who didn't know about evolution, but he believed that humans were apes and also that apes were humans. The existence of gorillas hadn't yet been confirmed, and Linnaeus didn't know about Australian aborigines either, but once they were discovered, the Australoid race was declared to be the lowest form of humanity, largely because they and gorillas were the same color. That's how superficial 18th century scientists were, and they weren't any better in Darwin's day either. This was the common language of both spiritualists and scientists alike from at least Plato's day, thousands of years before Darwin was born. So how was any of this his fault? In fact, in the year that Darwin was born, the children of black slaves were called objects of property and domestic animals, according to an American legal statute dated the same year as Darwin's birth. So how did Darwin's theory cause that? Abraham Lincoln was born in the same day and in the same year as Darwin, and Lincoln was extremely racist. He said that white people were generally superior and that blacks should not be voters or jurors or qualified to hold public office. He said they should be denied everything. Yet Lincoln is heralded as a great emancipator and Darwin is criticized as a racist? How is that fair? Even in the modern day, the evangelist Oral Roberts University would suspend students for interracial dating and expel them for interracial marriage. Even the Ku Klux Klan said they are exclusively creationist. If you really read the Holy Bible, which the Klan is a very Christian organization, the Holy Bible actually separates the races. Black people and white people are nowhere related. In my opinion, I think black people evolved from animals. And I believe that we need to be separated. Whites and blacks need to be separated. Who decreed that? God decreed that. Jesus decreed that. So you think this is what a good Christian man does? Yeah, this is our Christianity. I mean, that's just plain and simple. So it is a bit hypocritical of Christians to criticize Darwin for being racist. Creationists have told a lot of lies about Darwin, but the worst of all of them was this. In 2001, Louisiana legislator Sharon Weston Broom submitted a bill saying that creationists believe that all men are created equal with inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. She said that the writings of Charles Darwin promoted the justification of racism because, she said, the core concepts of a Darwinist ideology is that certain races and classes of humans are inherently superior to others. And she said that Hitler was a Darwinist who exploited these racist views. She's not the only one to say that, of course. I mean, I've heard this repeated hundreds of times over the course of my life, but it is a disgusting misrepresentation of all involved. For one thing, none of these people agreed with Darwin about anything. This is the very thing that Darwin argued against. This is what happens when religious extremists are in charge of everything. So much for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So much for Christians believing that all men were created equal. I challenged creationists many times to show me where Hitler ever promoted or accepted evolution. And they pointed me to Volume 2, Chapter 4 of Mein Kampf. There, Hitler mentions evolution and talks about what brought mankind away from the animal world. 
That does seem like he's promoting Darwin's idea, but in that passage, Hitler specifies that he's only talking about cultural evolution, and he says that man's inventions were the ticket, not any biological process. In that same paragraph, Hitler talks about what everyone who believes in the higher evolution of living organisms must admit. And again, it sounds like he's promoting evolution, but creationists don't recognize their own arguments in Hitler's words, because Hitler is criticizing a belief he does not share, which is why he questions how it all began. Hitler did mention natural evolution, and he equated that to the strong dominating the weak, something that Darwin never said. But it is clear from the context that Hitler is not talking about evolution in a Darwinian sense. Hitler talked about cultural, political, industrial, and military evolution, and the only time he mentioned natural evolution, he obviously meant it in the same sense. For this reason, some translations use the word development instead of evolution. When Hitler mentioned organic evolution, he was talking about management of an organization. Hitler's book never mentions Darwin's name, and only once does it refer to Darwinian evolution, in Volume 1, Chapter 11. I cited this passage in a number of videos where Hitler uses the same arguments that creationists commonly do. He says he accepts only microevolution, saying that evolution can only occur within definite limits, producing only subtle variants within their kind. He said that new diversity is limited to rare and inviolable hybrids between those kinds, and he said that the emergence of new species is impossible. Hitler used all these common creationist arguments, saying things that no Darwinist would ever say. I've never seen any statement Hitler ever made where he even acknowledged Darwinian evolution, except this one passage where he rejects it outright. He even said that such evolution is a sin against the eternal creator. Creationists, of course, don't want to admit that Hitler was one of their own, but they have no evidence to excuse him. By their own admission, the same criteria they would use against him would also excuse the majority of mainstream Christians today. We have no way to know what someone's beliefs are other than what they say. Hitler had always, only, ever described himself as a believer in God, as a Christian, and more specifically, a Catholic. But in this instance, he made plain that he was also a creationist. Elsewhere, Hitler even explained that his hatred of Jews was motivated by religious beliefs, not by science. As further proof that Hitler rejected Darwinism, he banned all of Darwin's books and ordered they be burnt. Joseph Stalin did much the same thing, albeit for different reasons. Both men wanted to believe that man's development could be controlled by ambition as an act of will. But reality isn't like that. Nature only allows you to play the cards you're dealt. Most importantly, Hitler praised racial purity and superiority, but Darwin taught that purity led to congenital defects and that superiority was a variable and determined by the environment. So Sharon Weston Broom was completely wrong about both Darwin and Hitler. Hitler's prejudice and Darwin's process could not be any more at odds. So I asked these creationists to show me where Darwin ever said anything to imply that he was a racist. It turns out that in all of his works, there is only one passage which could be interpreted that way. What he said there does sound racist to a 21st century audience. However, remember that in 19th century England, every common man and anthropological authority in the entire global scientific community had for centuries taught that black people were the lowest form of humanity. So Darwin was only speaking the language that was ubiquitous everywhere at that time. It would be an adequate excuse to say that Darwin was a product of his culture in that age. But as it turns out, Darwin doesn't need that excuse. 
he was much more progressive than this one paragraph indicates, because he challenged both the societal and anthropological status quo. Remember that before Darwin proposed the idea of common ancestry, all the other scientists had for centuries believed that the races of men count as different species. And this idea was still common even among Darwin's contemporaries, like anthropologist Louis Agassiz. Agassiz was a staunch creationist who said that there were eight different races of men. And you know, I, I know of a Bible college in Australia, when I lived there many years ago, uh, brought up in the city of Brisbane, there was a Bible college that taught that you don't take the gospel to the Australian Aborigines because they're not the same race as other people. Remember that everyone in Darwin's world thought like this, from the clergy and throughout academia. Virtually every European believed that blacks were lower than whites and that different races were different species. So, of course, we can accept that Darwin believed the same thing, except that he didn't. If you read his last book, Descent of Man, you'll see an evolution in his thinking, because in the first of the book he's saying the sorts of things you'd expect, but as the work progresses, he begins to question the idea of multiple races. He said the word race was inadequately defined and not of any actual value regarding people. He said human deems were not sufficiently distinct to be considered separate species. Racist people, then and now, defend their notions of purity by saying, I'll tell you this, oil and water don't mix. So there should be some clear division. But Darwin said that our biased judgments against other people were superficial and erroneous, and that no matter how distinct other people may appear to European eyes, there was no consistent distinction, because some Africans still shared traits with some Caucasians, and the same was true of every other group too, so that every race blends into every other race at some point, such that it is impossible to determine any real division. To illustrate this, he noticed how even expert anthropologists may disagree and consequently categorize two individuals of the same ethnicity as though they belong to different races. Most importantly, Darwin tallied the claims of other scientists of his day who couldn't even agree on how many races there were. He said, man has been studied more carefully than any other animal, and yet there is the greatest possible diversity amongst capable judges, whether he should be classed as a single species or race or as two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eleven, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-two, sixty, or sixty-three. And this wasn't the only time that Darwin questioned the judgment of other scientists in his field. He remarked that people of his day were divided into two schools, monogenous and polygenous. The polygenous were apparently divided into two groups, too. The first group, Darwin described as creationists, those who do not accept evolution and must therefore look at different species as separate creations. The other group believed that men had descended from two or more species as different as orangutans and gorillas. But Darwin argued that if that were the case, then there would be clear indications of that in the comparative skeletons of men. Thus, Darwin predicted that naturalists who admit the principle of evolution will feel no doubt that all the races of man are descended from a single primitive stock. He also predicted that once evolution was generally accepted, that the dispute between monogenous and polygenous will die a silent and unobserved death. That prediction seems to have come true in my lifetime. So far as I know, the last polygenists were the Christian Identity, a terrorist group with many subsets, including neo-Nazis and Klansmen. According to the FBI, group members and affiliates are responsible for a number of weapons violations, assaults, murders, and bombings. According to the Anti-Defamation League, these affiliates include the Montana Freeman and Timothy McVeigh, who blew up the Murrah Building in Oklahoma City.
The Christian identity believed that Anglos and Aryans were the true Israelites and that Jews fall into a class of false people with no soul. One expression of their anti-Semitism is the seed line theory, wherein white people descend from Adam and Eve through their good son Abel, and they say that the line of Jewish people began when Eve was impregnated by the serpent in the garden. And since they believed the serpent was the devil in disguise, then the Jews, in their view, were literally the bastard spawn of Satan. In fact, it's the secular world that is leading the way in regard to dealing with the race issue biologically and not the Christian world. And you know why that is? Because so many churches have adopted evolutionary ideas in the Bible, so many churches have ignored Genesis and said, we don't want to deal with that, we're not sure if it's true, it doesn't matter, and we concentrate in the New Testament. But the fact is that we never see from Darwin any of the overt bigotry that was so common from practically everyone else in history until that time, including so many of his critics still living today. Quite the opposite, in fact. His book, On the Origin of Species, offered no support for either racial purity or superiority, despite the fact that it mentions favored races. In that book, he wasn't talking about people. Darwin was also often accused of having inspired the near-annihilation of Australian aborigines. Back in 1924, there was a newspaper published called the New York Tribune, uh, and uh, it had a headline, The Missing Links Were Found in Australia, the Australian Aborigines. Did you know, in fact, that scientists from Germany and England sent people to Australia uh, to, with instructions on how to kill the Aborigines, how to skin them, how to boil up their, uh, their skulls as specimens for museums. They paid property owners to herd them over cliffs, herd them into swamps, and so on. This is all a part of Australian history, all in the name of evolution. But in Descent of Man, Darwin recalls that as a tragic episode which was already underway years before he got there and decades before he published his theory. So he couldn't have had anything to do with that either, nor would he have. He apparently didn't believe in white supremacy either, because he defined savages more by their practice than their lineage. His journals on the HMS Beagle say that Europeans should prefer the dark skin of Tahitians to their own comparative pallor. He said that the finest people he had ever seen were Tahitians, and that the nicest man he ever knew was a free black military commander stationed in South America. Darwin abhorred every aspect of slavery and wrote extensively about that. But he also wrote against the favoritism of Caucasian invaders and opposed the genocide of indigenous tribes, and he often criticized his own race as contrasted with darker tribes whom he frequently praised. And yet, if you listen to Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis today, somehow it is the creationists who believe that all men are one race and that Darwin fueled racism. No. I submit this as one more bit of evidence that creationism is driven entirely by lies. Despite Darwin's upbringing in the ethnocentric aristocracy of Imperial England, Darwin was no racist. He was one of the most progressive men of his day, and creationists have done him wrong. What is Darwinism? I see creationists using this word all the time. Some of them seem unable to say evolution. They always call it Darwinism instead. What's that about? Why do creationists insist on calling it Darwinism if scientists don't call it that? What does Darwinism even mean? There are some words that can mean different things in different contexts. Take, for example, the word Coke. Are we talking about Coca-Cola, cocaine, or a solid combustible fuel made out of coal? Or probably a better example in this case would be the word passion, which can either refer to an emotion or enthusiasm or a particular tale of execution. Likewise, Darwinism can mean different things to different authors depending on when and where they lived. 
Initially, Darwinism was used to contrast Lamarckism, another earlier explanation of evolution that wouldn't have qualified as a theory today. Lamarck's idea was that if giraffes stretched their necks to reach the highest leaves, then their kids would be born with longer necks somehow. And likewise, if you worked out in the gym every day, then your kids would be born stronger, and so on. While most applications of Lamarckism are now known to be laughably unrealistic, this notion had a lot of appeal with people who really liked the idea of controlling their own destinies. Those same people did not like the fact that people are dealt a particular hand of cards, being the DNA you're born with, maybe with a random wild joker mutation, and that you had to play the hand you're dealt, because that meant they weren't actually in control, and that their situation wasn't divinely designed to make them special. Evolution is an unfeeling process, there's no doubt about that. The universe doesn't care about anyone or anything. In nearly four billion years of life on this planet, there's no hint of justice, as myriad generations of animals lived without our level of intelligence to appreciate the world around them, and they were wiped out in repeated waves of extinction events. The fossil record shows that nature isn't nice, never has been. Nature is red in tooth and claw, as Darwin himself lamented. And this is a fact that would still be true even if the creationists were right. Evolution is an aspect of population mechanics where the individual hardly matters at all, but that's not a reason to reject its truth, because it is verifiably true. In fact, it is often said that the truth hurts, and same with life, which is often cruel, harsh, and unfair. Yet most people would accept that life is real, no matter how tough or callous it can be. This understanding of Darwinism as an unthinking, unfeeling, and seemingly unfair process governed by heredity and random mutation really bothered the very people who are most commonly accused of being Darwinists, that being the Nazis and the Communists. Hitler was a Christian creationist who ordered all of Darwin's books to be burnt. While Stalin sentenced Darwinian scientists to be gulagged or executed, Stalin only permitted scientists to promote his own brand of Lamarckism. So neither Hitler nor Stalin were Darwinists in any sense, even though they didn't agree with each other either. They were enemies after all. And this apathy for individual life was most charitably described in the Tao Te Ching, which says that nature acts without intent and so cannot be said to be benevolent nor malevolent to anything. But certain people paraphrased that malevolently. Take, for example, the classical liberal Herbert Spencer. It was Spencer, not Darwin who invented the phrase, survival of the fittest. He and others of his time took the cruel apathy of an unthinking natural process of population mechanics amid environmental dynamics and applied it to politics with the notion that humans should be left subject to natural selection just like any other animal, discarded, their needs ignored, as if the underprivileged did not warrant compassion if they could not compete. Although this contrasted sharply with what Darwin said about people himself, Spencer's idea was called social Darwinism and was subtly promoted by political conservatives, imperialists, and white supremacists. Spencer himself was an anti-statist economist credited with a concept designed to justify denying social welfare to others. Creationists frequently confuse Darwinism with social Darwinism and social Darwinism with socialism, not understanding anything about anything. As if socialism means that people are just animals with no inherent human rights. As if Darwinism implies or allows that the elder generation of people could be weeded out by the younger, stronger generation. That is how some creationists have described what they think Darwinism is. They think that learning about evolution somehow instills a callous disregard for our fellow men, which of course is not the case. And anyone who's read Darwin's collective works would see that he believed in no part of that. 
Darwin instead embraced humanism. Humanism is a mostly atheist perspective emphasizing the needs and value and goodness of humanity. It's unfortunate that an idea so violently opposed to Darwin's own values should be named after him, especially since Spencer also espoused Lamarckism and apparently believed that both concepts were true or equally plausible. But the fact that nature is naturally careless is precisely the reason we should not abandon our brethren to the elements. I heard a Christian announce in a seminary that atheist countries teach social Darwinism. And by atheist countries, he meant countries like India that aren't atheist at all, but that are supposed to be secular and are really deeply steeped in and corrupted by religion. When he says they teach social Darwinism, he means that capitalist countries teach their students to be commercially competitive. And somehow he thinks that underperforming classmates should be motivated to murder the valedictorian in order to advance their own grade on a curve. If he thinks that competing in academia or in the free market is that stupidly cruel or inhumane, then what would he think about other socioeconomic systems like communism, where the advertised intent is to take care of everyone and commercial competition shouldn't be taught at all? Nothing he believes is true, but if it was, what would his solution be? The idea that Darwinism is contrasted with Lamarckism as one of two explanations for evolution is still held by some senior British scholars, but otherwise we just call it evolution now, especially in America, where most folks have never heard of Lamarck because his wasn't even a working theory. Yet, American creationists are more likely to refer to evolution as Darwinism and will not correct that even if addressed. Why is that? Two reasons. One, they don't want to accept that evolution is a body of knowledge that has been steadily building for the last 160 years or so. They don't want to restrict it to the ideas of one man limited to and by the 19th century, as if his ideas were never vindicated by subsequent experiments or discoveries, which of course we know they were, repeatedly, consistently, conclusively. Two, by calling it Darwinism, they can cast the illusion that it's just another religious belief like their own, as if science is just as bad as religion, or as if science is a religion. But it's also the fallacy of projection, because when they say that evolution is just a religious belief, they implicitly admit that religious beliefs are not evidently true and that they're only held on faith in lieu of evidence. If American scientists refer to Darwinism at all, they mean only the 19th century postulations of the man himself, being the mechanisms of natural and sexual selection, because for the last few decades, Darwin's theory of natural selection has been taught alongside Mendel's theory of genetics as the modern synthesis of Mendelo-Darwinian evolution, also known as Neo-Darwinism. And more recently, additional considerations like genetic drift, endosymbiosis, and cladistic monophyly have been integrated into what is now called the extended evolutionary synthesis. It isn't any form of Darwinism anymore at all. Most of the new generation of scientists, even in the UK, now refer to it only as evolution. Creationism is not and does not like the truth. It doesn't care about accuracy or accountability. It depends entirely on frauds, falsehoods, and fallacies. So when believers refer to evolution as Darwinism, it is both pejorative and a deliberate attempt at deception, trying to create an illusion of confusion, turning everything around as if science is based on faith or faith is based on evidence. It's a fallacy of false equivalence. They will not admit the truth about the real difference between religion and science. They can't because they know that would blow down the imaginary house of cards they like to make believe in.